0: Well, good morning and Happy New Year to you. Albert Einstein was once asked by a doctoral student at Princeton, what is there left in the world for original dissertation research? He replied, find out about prayer. Somebody must find out about prayer. Now, this morning is... With any sermon that I preach to you, I come to you as opening God's word as a fellow sojourner. This is certainly not a topic that I feel uh, privileged to say that I've mastered and I'm bringing it to you at that level. But someone who has been exploring and uh, has been growing in Christ over the years. In fact, uh, as I was processing my goals in my life for 2017, I was thinking a lot about What could be different about my life or what would God want to do in my life at this time? I don't know about you, but I love that week between Christmas and New Year. Anybody else like that week? Okay, good, good, good. It is an awesome time, isn't it, to take stock, to take inventory, to reflect on what's going on and how we can grow. And as I took stock, the one thing that struck me above all other things was that I want to grow in prayer. I want to make 2017 a year where I connect with God more. And so I picked up four or five books, because that's what I do when I don't know something. And I also looked into God's Word, and I wanted to share some of the things that I learned through the week as I was studying on prayer and reflecting myself. Now, normally we have slides up on the screen. Um, Normally... Uh, We're looking at a particular passage and we're taking notes on that, but today I want to have a conversation with your heart. Um, I want to speak directly into our heart. I think that prayer isn't so much uh, a head thing, I think we understand that it's something important, but it's uh, more now we need to get down to the heart where our, our will is involved, where we've follow through with things with our desires. So if you're a note taker or something like that, you can just kind of relax this morning. Chill out. Don't write furiously. Listen and let this conversation be a conversation to the heart. Tim Keller writes this, I can think of nothing great that is also easy. Prayer then must be one of the hardest things in the world. Let's have an honest conversation about that. Now, if I was to take a straw poll of this room, and please don't raise your hands, I'm sure that 90%, if not more, of us would say that we either find prayer to be a struggle or that we don't believe that our prayers are effective. Now, maybe you're like me. Maybe you set out to pray with every good intention, and you get 15 seconds in, and then boom. The to-do list comes into your brain, and your brain has a little squirrel on a wheel just running furiously, and you're trying to pray, but you get distracted. So you say to yourself, no, 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 I'm going to do this. I'm going to focus. I'm going to pray. Fifteen seconds later, it all starts over again. And that's when guilt sets in, doesn't it? And you start thinking to yourself, well, I must not be that spiritual. I mean, I know for a fact that Steve Dager prays five hours a day and I'm only praying for like 15 seconds, and then I get distracted. Or maybe you have prayed. Maybe you have prayed intensely for something, and you haven't seen real change occur as you've prayed. You've wondered if prayer is worth it, if it's effective. I remember a couple of years back that Many of you in small groups read a book together called A Praying Life. And I remember this story from Paul Miller that really crystallizes this for me. He says, I was camping for the weekend in the endless mountains of Pennsylvania with five of our six kids. My wife, Jill, was home with our eight-year-old daughter, Kim. After a disastrous camping experience the summer before, Jill was happy to stay home. In fact, she said that she was giving up camping for Lent. I was walking down from our campsite to our old Dodge Caravan when I noticed our 14-year-old daughter, Ashley, was standing in front of the car and she looked tense and upset. When I asked her what was wrong, she said, I lost my contact lens. It's gone. I looked down with her at the forest floor and it was covered with twigs and leaves. There were a million little crevices for the lens to fall into. It must have been lost. I said, Ashley, don't move, let's pray. But before I could pray, she burst into tears. What good does it do? I've been praying for Kim to speak. She isn't speaking. Now her sister Kim, if you've read this book, you know that Paul's daughter, Ashley's sister Kim, struggles with autism and developmental delay And these delays had prevented her from speaking. So Ashley was the type who, when Daddy would say, pray, God works through prayer. She didn't view prayer as some kind of formality. She believed God that that God answered her prayers. And she had prayed for Kim to speak, but nothing happened. It seemed like prayer didn't work. So here we are. These are the struggles that we have with prayer. Now, I think we need to take a deep look into this matter, ask ourselves a couple of questions. The first question that I think we begin with when we think about prayer is, one, do we even understand it properly? What is prayer? I think there's a ton of definitions out there. I'm just going to share with you a couple that I have found helpful. One is that prayer is our continuing conversation with the living God. God. It's relational. It's the real you connecting with the real God. Prayer is how we connect with God. So, this means that God desires that we pray as we are. He wants the real you as you talk to Him. I think this is why Jesus condemns hypocritical prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Remember that when he says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Don't come out and pray for show, right? Don't stand and pray in the synagogues or at the street corners for everyone to see you. Don't pray mindless prayers to try to manipulate God. They would do that, right? They would repeat the same word over and over and over again as if in some way repeating that would would force God to act on their behalf. Don't do that, he says. God desires you to pray with your real self. And maybe that's what scares us the most. When we come before God with our real self, we're afraid of what he will see. But let's just be honest. He sees it anyway, right? A Christmas Eve service, Uh, I talked about something that I believe is true, that God is the one who removes the obstacles in our pathway towards him, and we are the ones who tend to put the obstacles back in place. It's true for someone who, exploring faith in Jesus Christ, but it's also true for us, I believe, in our prayer lives. Who of us hasn't had the thought, I don't deserve to pray today? A pastor tells about a personal experience that had helped me as I've thought about the times when I feel inadequate or unworthy to approach God. He said that after a very difficult day, he was trying to pray before he went to bed, and it hadn't been a very good day. So as he sought God amidst the discouragement, he thought to himself, Would I have any problem praying right now if I had led someone to Jesus Christ today or if I had had a great devotional time in the morning?" Obviously, no. And then he reflected on this thought, and he responded to himself, but I do have a problem. That was not the kind of day I had. I've had an awful day that has been characterized by wrong responses. So during this time, as he's praying and seeking God's face, the Lord gave him a gentle rebuke. Do you want to come to me in your name? Or do you want to come to me in the name of Jesus? Hebrews 4.16 talks about the confidence that we can have to approach the throne of grace, not in my name, but in whose? Jesus' name, right? Let us then with confidence draw nearer to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now, How do we find confidence to approach the Lord when we've had wrong thoughts, wrong attitudes, or wrong actions? To draw near with confidence means to come with freedom to the throne of grace, not in my authority, but in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? I mean, this is what the gospel means. There was never a time in my life, pre-Christ, that I could approach God under my own works, my own merits, my own efforts, and deserve to stand before him. It was only because Jesus Christ lived the life I couldn't live, because he died on the cross, shed his blood in my place, that I could come into right relationship with him. Why would that change after I become a Christian? Why would prayer change? somehow be different. We approach God in our mess, and it is through that connection with God that he continues to do that work of mercy and grace in our lives. Prayer, according to Dr. Thrasher, he was one of my professors at Moody Theological Seminary. He wrote a book called A Journey to Victorious Praying, prayer is an attitude of our hearts towards God. It is an attitude of helplessness. This attitude is meant to drive you to God. He continues, In other words, prayer is helplessness plus faith. We may stumble over that until we realize that faith is just simply coming to Jesus Christ in our helplessness. When we petition God in prayer, we come to Christ And tell him what we and those for whom we pray are lacking. It is opening up our needy lives to him. Now as I think about prayer, there is one example in the scriptures that stands above all others, isn't there? The praying life of Jesus Christ. As I was reading on prayer this week, this thought struck me from one of the books I was reading. Jesus seemed to need time with God as much as we do. I mean, just think about that for a moment. The divine Son of God, who has eternally existed with God the Father in Trinitarian relationship, when he became flesh, when he dwelt among us, he needed time with God just like we do. I, I think through that and I say to myself, well, wouldn't he always just be connected with God? He wouldn't need special moments to, to go off to the side and to pray. And yet, in his humanity, right, that is the nature of Christ, God in man. So in his humanity, Christ needed Times of prayer, Luke 5, 15, and 16. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad. Great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Just like us, when Christ was bombarded with people, it wore him out. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Now, there's two things I think you notice about the praying life of Jesus. There's much more, but two things stand out. One, he was dependent on the Father. And two, he made space to connect with the Father. Listen to his dependent statements from the scriptures. The Son can do nothing of his own accord. John 5, 19. I can do nothing on my own John 5.30 I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. John 8.28 For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father has himself given me what to say and what to speak. John 12.49 Miller says this. Imagine asking Jesus how he's doing. He would say, My Father and I are doing great. He has given me everything I need today. Now you would respond in return, because this is how we are culturally. I'm glad that your father is doing well, but let's just focus on you for a moment. Jesus, how are you doing? Jesus would look at you strangely, as if you were speaking a foreign language. The question doesn't make sense. He simply can't answer the question, how are you doing, without including his heavenly father. That's why contemplating the terror of the cross at Gethsemane was such an agony for Jesus. He had never experienced a moment when he wasn't in communion with his Father. Now let this one sink in. Jesus' anguish is our normal. In John 15.5, Jesus tells us that apart from me you can do nothing. He is inviting you into that life of dependence. We don't have the resources that we need to do this life. And when you understand that, when you realize that you don't have the resources to do this life, that's when prayer starts making a whole lot of sense. Author and writer Timothy Keller talks about the time that he became more serious about prayer in his life. He shares, In the second half of my adult life, I discovered prayer. I had to. There were several things that were converging on his life at the same time. If you know anything about him, you know that he's a pastor in New York City. So he was looked to as a spiritual leader during the 9-11 crisis. Just imagine the pressure of that. In addition to that... He, uh, as a husband, was experiencing problems because his wife, Kathy, was intensifying in her struggle with Crohn's disease, and then on a personal level at the same time, he was also diagnosed with thyroid cancer. One night, his wife, Kathy, came up to him and she said, we need to pray together every single night. And then she used this illustration to convey their need. She said, imagine you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you that you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill every night before going to sleep. Imagine that you were told that if you ever missed that pill, you would die. Would you forget it? Would you not get around to it some nights? Of course not. It would be so crucial that you wouldn't forget. You would never miss. She said, well, if we don't pray together to God, we're not going to make it with all that we are facing. I'm certainly not. We have to pray. We can't let it slip our minds. Do you feel that sense of dependency in your life? That sense of urgency, that need to connect with God? If we are not praying, then subtly or quietly within we're, in our heart, we believe somehow that we can do life without God. Maybe it's your youth. Maybe you look at the number of years and you think you have so much more time ahead of you. It could be your resources. There's a tendency in this culture, because of what we have that we don't feel the urgency of struggle for material things, or it could be your natural gifts or abilities. But here's the thing. All of those things at some point in your life are going to change. They're going to crash around you. And if you don't learn how to pray, how are you going to know how to talk to God when that happens? Prayer is how we connect with God. This is ultimately why Jesus prayed. He prayed because he wanted to have that real personal relationship with the Heavenly Father in his humanity. And this is also why Jesus began the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, Luke 11 like this. Our Father in Heaven. Now that truth might not hit us as profoundly as it should. See, during Jesus' day, No one called God Abba. It is a deep, personal term for God. It expresses the deep nature of relationship that He wants to have with us. It's like calling Him Papa today. Jesus pursued this intimacy, this connection with God. He withdrew to desolate places. Now, here's the truth. Miller makes mention of this in his book. You do not create intimacy, you make room for it. It's true. It's true in your relationships. It's true in your relationship with your spouse or with your children or with your good friends or with your extended family. It's especially true in your relationship with God. You can't make intimacy happen on the fly you have to carve out space for it. Things like efficiency, multitasking, busyness, all those great American ideals, right? Kill intimacy. God's not our Facebook friend. (laughs) We don't shoot him a high text in the middle of the night and connect with him 10 days later. We have to intentionally carve out that time to be with him. Now another thought occurred to me as I was studying on prayer this week. Learning how to speak. (laughs) Maybe you are carving out the time to spend with God, but you say to yourself, I don't know what to say. Thought about that a lot. Eugene Peterson explains, because we've learned language so early in our lives, we have no memory of the process. Language is spoken into us. That's what's happening when you're an infant, when you're a toddler as a child, even now into your life. We are plunged at birth into a sea of language. Now, I've always watched or loved watching children go through that process. It's fun, isn't it? It's fun to watch them pick up new words. It's fun sometimes when they have no idea what the context of that word means. The other day, I was laying in my bed and I heard Bear running up the stairs and he's crying. And I couldn't get the words out of him. What's wrong with you? What's going on? And he finally gets it out and he says, Bubby, drank my baba." Now there's one thing you gotta understand about Bear. Baba is sacred. It is his happy, safe place. You do not touch Baba. So I say to him, and I'm kind of joking around just to see what would happen here, Well oh, I am so sorry, Bear, that Bubby drank your Baba. What should we do to him? And without hesitation, he says, let's kill him. <laughs> now, two thoughts occurred to me at the same time. The first is, I have no idea how he learned that word. Katie's got to stop saying these types of things around him. And the second thing is, I'm very thankful that he has no idea what that means. That's the process of language, though, isn't it? It's a little bit messy. It's fun. And there's a lot of grace along the way, especially as a parent when you know the child is learning, right? Like learning how to speak, prayer takes time and exposure to the right words. Prayer requires learning about God. You see, just as God desires the real you in prayer, He also desires that we pray to the real God. God is a person. And like any person, it requires us to Learn about that person as they reveal themselves to us. And so if we want to know God, we have to study His self-revelation, His Word. When you're engaging in a relationship with someone, you don't make up what you want that person to be like. You don't say if if we're gonna be in a relationship, you have to be this way, this way, and this way. That's not fair, is it? The same thing's true with our relationship with God. If we want to connect with the real God, we need to learn about His justice, His holiness, His character, His grace, His mercy, His love. And the only way you're going to learn about that is looking into His Word. So I was thinking about that in prayer and picking up the vocabulary of how to talk to God and studying the Bible. And I couldn't help but think of the fact that there's a lot of us, even in this room this morning, that have only recently started coming to church and getting um, spiritually fed in that way. and I'm sure that there's an, a struggle internally as you're going through that. Like per, for example, you hear a sermon and you're like, what in the world was that preacher talking about today? And you walk away confused and maybe you've prayed with a group of believers and you heard a believer pray and you said, I would never think to say something like that in prayer or you're studying the word of God. Well, here's my encouragement to you. Vocabulary takes time to build. For example, if I'm preaching a sermon or we have a guest preacher in this church and you say to yourself, I can't relate to that. I can't connect with that. You're still building your vocabulary. Just lean in. Think hard Give it time and space, and I promise you that as you continue to uh, come back time and time again, you're going to pick up more and more and more, and the process of Romans twelve two will take place. You will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what the word tells us. George Mueller was a great man of prayer, and they say in his lifetime that Mueller documented more than 50,000 answered Prayers. It's pretty cool when you think about it. See, he had learned over the course of his life how to rely on the Heavenly Father in a childlike faith. And so Mueller would do this by reading the Bible. Mueller, at age 92, told his biographer that for every word of a book that he read, or every page of a book he read, he would proportionately have read 10 pages of the Bible. It's pretty crazy when you think about it. Now, as an aside... I was thinking about that with regard to us in modern culture and I read in an article recently that if we would trade our TV time for Bible reading, that we would finish reading the Bible cover to cover in less than four weeks. Now, that might to you sound like, whoa, that's not workable. But consider this, if you read the Bible for 15 minutes a day, you would finish the Bible in less than a year. You see, they say the average amount of time that it takes a person to read through the Bible cover to cover is 70 hours. Now you're saying, whoa, that's a lot. But if you break that into 15 minute chunks per day, you read the entire Bible in 280 days. That's not that long when you think about it. So I want to encourage you, we have a couple Bible reading plans. Here's my shameless gimmick. <laughs> If you um, are considering reading through the entire Bible, cover to cover, uh, we have the Discipleship Reading Plan. I put this out last year. I have really, really enjoyed this plan, and I want to do it again. I've been personally reading through the Bible um, as one of my spiritual disciplines for the last four or so years, and it's been very helpful to me. Now, you might be saying to yourself, well, I don't know about the Bible through a year. So I looked up another plan called... Same uh, group, Discipleship Journal, the 5x5x5 Bible reading plan. This plan is five minutes a day, five days a week, and five ways to dig deeper as you study. It's just reading through the New Testament one time. I encourage you, pick up one of these plans, get the word of God into your life. George Mueller said that um, he would find in his life that one hour of prayer and Bible study and four hours of work was far more productive than five hours of work. So that's a good encouragement and a good reminder. Now, as we close this morning, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, he answered the first question, (laughs) which is that idea, what if I struggle with prayer and being focused? But not really the second question, does prayer work? Part of the problem with the struggle on whether or not prayer works is our limited understanding of what God is doing in the world. Have you ever thought that maybe your thoughts are too small? Maybe God's answer to your prayer is much bigger than an immediate response and far more reaching than your personal need. Paul Miller blew my mind when he wrote this. He said an author of an otherwise excellent book on prayer said that prayer was mainly about us being with God and not about God answering our prayers. Um, As an example, he mentioned that the mothers in the days of high infant mortality used to pray desperately that their children would not die in infancy, but modern medical techniques have put an end to the prayers in the West. Now, he offers a different thought than that because I do believe as well as him that prayer is about God answering our prayers. He said, maybe, maybe modern medical techniques were developed in the West because young mothers were praying for the lives of their children. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe God is responding to your prayers in a much bigger way way than you could think or imagine. He gets personal as he continues the story of his daughter Kim. He says, in 1983, we started to pray that Kim would be able to speak. She was about one and a half at that time. Now, unknown to us as we're praying, engineers at a computer company in Ohio were designing the first easily accessible speech computer. Four years later, when Kim was five, she spoke her first electronic word. (laughs) McDonald's. I love that. She is now on the third generation of speech computer called Pathfinder. Now, that is a change of focus, uh, a paradigm shift in my thinking with regard to prayer. Uh, But I can also tell you tons of instances where God directly responded to prayers in significant ways. The idea, though, is that God works through prayer. That's why we have a prayer ministry that meets here every Sunday morning, both services, two people gathered in the prayer room, led by Jen Hevener. Uh, I am so thankful for Jen Hevener. She has chosen to champion prayer in our church in that way. Every Sunday morning, if you're not familiar with this prayer ministry, they're praying that God would work through this service. And I believe that there's a real spiritual dynamic that's happening here every single Sunday. The dynamic might be for you personally. Maybe there's something spiritual going on that's preventing us from really leaning in and listening to the word of God. It might be someone coming in here and hearing the gospel for the first time. Or it might be something like physical, spiritual attack. And I can tell you this on a personal level, that there have been multiple times where I've gotten up to preach... And I have not felt well. And I've gone into that room and been prayed for. And the Lord has immediately responded to those prayers. So I want to encourage you, if you feel led by the Lord, to engage in that ministry. See Jen Heavener sometime, or you can contact the office, and we'll put you in connection with her and pray. I think Albert Einstein was right to think that prayer is a mysterious thing. It's true. However, there are two things we do know. One is that prayer does work. And the second is that prayer is how we connect with God. Happy New Year.